The Aggies, the Jazz, the high schools. If it's the sport you care about, we're talking about it. The Full Court Press on Sports Talk Radio, 106.9 FM, 1390 AM. The Fan. Good afternoon. What's going on, everybody? Eric France and Ajay Salveson. Good afternoon, everybody. Hey, don't Didn't you, I just say don't that? be disgusted with me because you can't tell me you haven't done that at all. <laughs> done what? Cut you off mid sentence? Yes. I just trying to introduce something. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm like, hey, Eric. So we're gonna. Uh, you know what? Actually, we're not going to talk about what you were about to introduce. We're going to talk about something else. <laughs> okay. I'm, I missed you. This is getting really weird really fast. Uh, <laughs> hey, interesting show lined up for you today. Um, a lot of different things that we've talked about. You heard at the top of the hour there with Fox Sports. Ivy League has made the decision that we've heard that it's likely to have been decided that um, they're pushing everything into January. Uh, and still there's uncertainty that they'll have anything in the spring, but no fall sports whatsoever. They've made that official. Um, and as this has been developing over the last several days, it seems like more and more conference commissioners are saying, we're going to wait until late July before we really say yes or no. Okay, so I would love to get your thoughts and opinions on this because I remember in March when Ivy League canceled their tournaments and said, nah, we're, we're going to hold off, we're going to wait, we're not going to do them. And everybody kind of just scoffed at it. But then all of a sudden, two, three weeks later, we're canceling the NCAA tournament. We're canceling NBA basketball. We're canceling MLB baseball. Not weeks, days. I mean, it was yeah, days later. Point. So they jumped on it quickly, and within a few days, others, the dominoes started to fall for everybody else. But it, I think it illustrates that with some of these organizations, they don't want to be the first ones to make this kind of a decision. But once somebody else does, it provides justification for them and, and a little bit of cover. They say, well, look, you know, they're not doing it. So uh, we think it's in the best interest that we don't either. Well, according to Inside, uh, or excuse me, SB Nation's Northwestern University site, uh, Tom Dinehart, who is the, he covers uh, Purdue football, he says Big Ten will likely play a 10-game conference-only schedule. Nothing will be officially decided, but uh, there's, I guess, a big meeting on July 9th, which is, what, tomorrow. Um, they should have a decision 8 to 10 days. They could still start on September 5th and span 13 to 14 weeks of football, allowing more schedule flexibility. So 13 to 14 weeks just says we can play a game, have a buy to test. Play a game, have a buy. But even so, you're still looking at a kind of lengthy conference season. Uh, Big 10, did you look at that? Is that what you're talking about? Yeah. Yeah. So like uh, BYU, they, they have a home opener against Michigan State. So it'd be canceled. Oh, they do? Yikes. I have a road game at Minnesota. Yikes. That'd be canceled. Man. So what does BYU do? I, I know I've asked this question before, but I've never gotten a clear answer. <laughs> if everybody your, else starts doing this, I guess how you, do you, play, keep you line up against uh, New Mexico State and Liberty every other week. I don't know. Well, they're going to go undefeated for the first UMass. time since 84, so congratulations to you guys. UConn. I mean, it's, yeah, it's, options are really That's slim. That's the problem. And, and Notre Dame's another one. Now, but granted, I think you said this a while back, and you brought up such a great point. There's a difference between playing at Lavelle Edwards Stadium and playing in South Bend, Indiana versus the Irish. There's a huge difference. People want to play Notre Dame. People could care less about playing BYU. To a degree. What? If they would care less about BYU, then they wouldn't. Why would they even schedule them? 
Well, why would Michigan State and Minnesota even have them on their schedule? It's a Power Five team, right? Well, so the bottom line here is that there's still uncertainty, and I think it's getting even more and more uncertain. Uncertain as we go along, with what's yeah. going on in the fall? Uh, it would be catastrophic for athletic departments if, as we know, it college football doesn't happen. I think it'd be oh. significantly bad, even if it gets pushed off until the spring. Makes me sick when you say that, but who? Um, but how does that affect things at the next level too? Like guys are seniors, really talented juniors. They uh, have opportunities to to get noticed and make it to the NFL. And now those opportunities really are they really there the same level? So, anyways, big a lot of big changes that could happen. Um, Anji, let's shift a little bit to talk about the NFL. Let's do it. Uh, we really have a cool opportunity on the show today. Um, this just opportunity is kind of fell in our lap. Uh, you reached out to us and says, Hey, I'm around. I've got some experience. If, uh, if you guys want to talk to me, like, well, the, well, yeah, the email I read said, Hey, Eric, I'm a huge fan of you and I want <laughs> to be able to do a show with you. And then you said, yeah, I don't have a co-host, So why not? <laughs> Something like that. I think it's a legitimate co-host. <laughs> a legitimate co-host. <laughs> no, it didn't go like that at all. Uh, Ethan Dursteller joins us here on the Full Court Press. Uh, Ethan is from around here, uh, around the Valley, but uh, hasn't been spending a lot of time here lately because he's been working with the NFL, spending a lot of time back in Washington, D.C., of all places. Ethan, thanks for spending some time with us today. Thanks for having me on, guys. It's great to be a part of the show. He even has a good radio voice. Gosh dang it. I've really been practicing since the, talking to Eric last week. <laughs> looking in the mirror, practicing. Gave him a lot of voice. pointers. Now, this is what AJ does, so this is what you shouldn't do. <laughs> <laughs> Don't say this. No, the the last time I was on 1390, I, I was playing. it was in 2012. I was playing football for Skyview High School. We were undefeated. We were playing Woods Cross High. Everybody thought we were pretty good, but Woods Cross had a kid named Sean Barton on their team. We ended up playing at Stanford. Big deal. Oh, yeah. So they interviewed me before the game. They thought it was going to be the game of the week. Thought it was going to be a big deal. And we ended up getting trounced. So I'm hoping this goes a little bit better than what the year last was that? time. What year was that? would have been 2012. Wow. So hopefully my luck's a little bit better after after this interview. Okay, so you, uh, you, you played football at Skyview High School. I did. Um, but you didn't play in the NFL. Unfortunately, no. So no, how not. did you end up with the NFL? <laughs> so I I uh, thankfully had the opportunity after high school to play it, uh, uh, to walk on at Utah State. It didn't end up working out. I, I hurt my knee. I had a pretty serious injury, but I, I had a, a deep love for football and, and uh, kind of was able to stay, to it, stay close to it that way. I uh, went to Utah State, uh, kind of got sick of school, so moved out to D.C. as an intern. Um, for Congressman Stewart's little brother, Congressman Stewart from the 3rd District of Utah. Worked for him, ended up uh, getting an opportunity to work for Congressman Bishop, uh, who's our representative in Congress out there. Uh, and then you, just through happenstance and, and through the you know luck of the universe, met, met, met a kid who became a really close friend of mine. We went to a couple college football games together out there, went to the Ohio State-Penn State Big Ten Championship together. I uh, had some really cool, op- really cool, uh, you know, sporting experiences together. And he knew that I, you know, had had the opportunity to play college football and was just a huge fan and then had a policy background as well. And he worked in the NFL's Washington, D.C. office. Uh, they had a position that had been open for a while. They'd been struggling to fill it. Uh, you know, a couple kids, had, a couple people had applied, hadn't, they hadn't been a good fit. You know, the NFL's kind of picky. Uh, and he said, are you inter- interested at all? And I said, yeah, of course, it's the NFL. Why are you even asking? So I went in there, interviewed, <laughs> didn't think I'd hear back. 
uh, but was lucky enough to get to get that position and, and have been there now for, for for about two years. That's so cool. So with the the role you've played with the NFL is is it connected with your uh, ability to well your background working at the with with Congress and things in Washington D.C. Yeah, yeah, really connected with that. My 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 official title is the Government Affairs and Public Policy Coordinator. So I help the NFL. Uh, you know, and we have we have a really accomplished and, and smart team, and I, I, I in our government affairs department, uh, and I and I help them manage our relationship with Congress, um, as well as you know just just the public as a whole. So 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 we're our focus is Congress, but we're a part of the PR department. So anything that's related with NFL public relations or or the, the NFL's image in the public eye, uh, you know, we have a hand in that. How big is your team? The, the the Washington office. There's only six of us. The the PR oh, wow. department as a whole. So the NFL's headquarters is, is in is in uh, New York on Park Avenue. I'm sure you've heard the derogatory term the park the, the suits up on Park Ave. So uh, I don't I'm not on Park Ave, so that doesn't offend me, but <laughs> uh, it offends some of my colleagues. The, the PR department as a whole. There's probably you know fifth, about fifty of us. Hmm. So um, the NFL has had its fair share of things that it has to deal with with public affairs. Uh, I'd say, yeah. I'm sure maybe some things you can speak on and some things you can't, but uh, there's there's certainly been a lot in the news about managing different things with, oh, from Colin Kaepernick to you know kneeling for a national anthem or not, or what's going on with a certain team's uh, mascot <laughs> right now. That's hot. So how does that work with your role with the NFL and then trying to – coordinate with other legislative people or you, you say hey congressman whomever from georgia why don't you come over we're going to have a a discussion about what's going on with with the nfl and since the the hawks are in your uh, or excuse me, the hawks the falcons are in your district uh, you know do you have those kind of discussions or how does that work yeah, I mean, we have those discussions all the time, and I will say I, I saw the odds come out today for the for the future uh, Washington team name, uh, and I am not allowed to bet on that. So I, I would be fired <laughs> had I put had I had I put a bet on that. Uh, but you know, we are very engaged in, you know, when that announcement came out, for an example, you know, working with members of Congress to ensure, you know, particularly you know Native American members of Congress or or, or members of Congress that are on the Natural Resources Committee who have jurisdiction over you know, Native American issues, making sure they're aware, you know, in the past, what the, everything that the Redskins were doing to work with the Native community. And now, you know, making them aware, hey, the, uh, you know, the name is being reviewed. Um, We don't know what's going to happen, but we just wanted to let you know that this is happening. You know, in regards to the Colin Kaepernick situation and uh, and other things like that, you know, we work very closely with, with partners in Congress, whether that be the Congressional Black Caucus or, or, or you know, even the, the Freedom Caucus that, that members of Congress in Utah are part of to ensure that they are, are aware at least of what we're doing um, and they know that, that we care and that we're trying to do the right thing. Um, and, and so, you know, we, we've been very, uh, you know, upfront about the fact that we don't always make the right decisions, but that we're willing, we're always trying to, to work as a league to get better. Um, and members of Congress are usually pretty receptive to that. How is the relationship between Congress and the NFL? And what's the trusting relationship like? I know you got to be the bridge for it, but is it a good positive relationship as it is right now? You know, I, yeah, I, I'm not going to bash any members of Congress. No, by uh, all means. I, I, you know, sometimes I'd like to, but... Um, <laughs> that's that's for the guys in the other studio. <laughs> you know, they're, they're um, members of Congress, you know, are just like us, and they there's a lot of football fans on the Hill. Um, 
obviously we have you know there's things that we do that bother them and there's things that we that, that we do that that, that that they do that bother us um but you know i would say we have a we have a constructive relationship it's, it's funny sometimes you know you, there will be members of congress that tweet something derogatory about the nfl or how we did something wrong and then you know we'll come circle around and try to buy tickets the next week so uh, you know, it's everybody likes to bash on the NFL, whether it's a member of Congress or 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 just a you know a person in in Logan, Utah. But um, for the most part, you know, we have a good relationship and we try to maintain that relationship with them. Uh, again, we're talking to Ethan Dursteller. He is with the Government Affairs and Public Policy with the NFL and uh, from Cache Valley. And so uh, there's many other things going on with the NFL lately. Interesting move, an interesting announcement earlier this week with Patrick Mahomes. Yes, sir. A huge contract, unprecedented, at least in the modern era. Uh, it's uh, it's really something more akin to what we've been seeing in baseball lately, and it just seems so rare that you'd see any NFL player sign a deal more than five years. And here he comes with a ten-year contract. Uh, from the conversations you've had and the the workings that you've seen in the NFL, just how or maybe am I overreacting? Is it really that unprecedented? <clears throat> I, I, you know, I think it's important when you're looking at salaries to, to understand the cap implications that it has. If you look at, if you look at, the you know the last let's look at 2010 for example, uh, Peyton Manning was the highest paid at quarterback per on a per year basis. He's making 16 million dollars a year, and at that time the salary cap was 120 million dollars. Right. So, look, we're, we're 10 years ahead of that now. It's 2020. And while the cap hasn't quite doubled, the cap's currently at around $200 million. The top quarterbacks now are making, you know, Russell Wilson made $35 million last year. So because of a variety of things, you know, be that from rule changes that have favored quarterbacks that have made them more important to the game to just a realization that the quarterback is the most position, important position, not just in football, but in all of sports, you know, the, the value of those quarterbacks has, has more than doubled. So I don't think that it's unprecedented. And then in fact, I think you could make the, 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 the argument that, that Mahomes is the best quarterback in the league. And this is a hot take and, and, you know, feel free to debate me on it is actually underpaid. If you look at, if you look at the quarterback, what quarterbacks are making, like I said, Russell Wilson, $35 million a year, big Ben, $34 million a year, Aaron Rodgers, $33.5 million a year. You know, Mahomes deal after he signs his upfront pay, his, after he gets his upfront payment is only going to be 41 42 million dollars a year if you look 10 years down the road he just signed a 10-year contract and he's still making that it, it, you know compare that to the last 10 years where where, where quarterback salaries doubled he'll probably he probably won't even be in the top 15 paid quarterbacks in the nfl 10 years down the road so with speaking of numbers contracts and quarterbacks jordan love you're an aggie guy i'm an aggie went over uh, got drafted by green bay then signs a sexy deal himself what is that deal in number wise, speak about Jordan Love. Yeah, speak about unprecedented to see a, a quarterback that technically that low, you can call it that, in the first yeah. round, fully get that kind of guaranteed money. money that's never happened before. I think you, you know, that is unprecedented. If you look at again, you know, I just referred to the salary cap, and I like to nerd out on this thing, but these things. But if you look at the at, at the quarterbacks since 2000 that have been taken in the second round, the second half of the first round of the NFL draft, there are a bunch of names that. Did not pan out. Names that nobody is going to know: Patrick Ramsey, J.P. Lossman, Josh Freeman. All these guys that that we've never heard of and did definitely did not get guaranteed money. But the kicker here is is that in 2005 there was a quarterback taken 24th in the first round, and that guy's name was Aaron Rodgers. Rogers, yep. So the you know the Packers have had luck taking quarterbacks in the second half of the of, of of the first round, and I think that this is you know 
a show, a sign of belief of their belief, a in their draft process, and that you know, kind of them saying to the rest of the league, "Look, we've done this before, and we created, we, we drafted one of the best quarterbacks in the league," as well as a sign of their belief that 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 uh, you know, Jordan Love can be that next guy, that he can be, you know, some at least close to what Aaron Rodgers was. There's not a lot of rookie quarterbacks even taken in the first half of the first round that are getting you know, ten, twelve million dollars guaranteed. But Kansas City is such a small market team, and then on the other side, in Dallas, Texas, you got a quarterback who's begging to get paid won't get paid. What does that tell you about Dallas Cowboys situation or at least their uh I guess their thoughts on De- on Dak Prescott as a quarterback that they won't pay him. You know, I think that the, the Cowboys think very highly of Dak obviously they wouldn't have continued these negotiations this long had they not but but Dak while being a great quarterback he's not Patrick Mahomes but you know Mahomes just reset the quarterback market so so he's going to have more justification to go into Jerry and Stephen Jones and ask for more money. And, 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 you know, they were struggling. They've been debating for months now, like you mentioned, whether or not it was worth giving him that big contract. Um, and so, you know, I, I wouldn't envy the position they're in because they don't have a great backup on the roster. You know, they signed Andy Dalton, depending on how much you believe in him. Hmm. But, um, you know, they're not going to want to give Dak Prescott Mahomes money, but Dak Prescott's going to ask for it. So it puts them in a compromising situation, and you know it puts lots of teams in a compromising situation going forward in that there's only one Patrick Mahomes, but there's a lot of quarterbacks that think they're Patrick Mahomes. Here's the thing. You say Patrick Mahomes is underpaid. The guy won one Super Bowl, and everyone's flipping out. I don't get that. Like He wins a Super Bowl. Like Should, we, should Trent Dilfer have made a hundred and something million because he won a Super Bowl? I don't know. <laughs> Uh, you've seen Trent Dilfer play football. Uh, you, know, that, that's t- you know, I, I look at Patrick Mahomes. The dude's basically like the 2016 Golden State Warriors in one person, right? He enters the league last year, and it, it's something I've been in a huge football fan for years. I, you know, I grew up a huge John Elway fan, you know, Peyton Manning, Tom Brady. Yeah, I think that, you know, if you grew up, I was born in 1994. If you, were, if you grew up in that era, we've had the opportunity, thankfully, to watch the best quarterbacks to ever play the game. And I've never seen anybody do what Patrick Mahomes does. I was at the Super Bowl this past year, and and, and it was it was truly it was incredible. Seeing it in person is something it, it's unlike anything you've ever seen. It's fun to go to Utah State games. It's fun to see Jordan Love flick that wrist and see the ball shoot seventy yards down the field. Pat Mahomes is backpedaling, flipping his wrist, and completing sixty-five yard passes to Tyreek Hill. It's incredible. I've never seen anything like hmm. it. With a, but with a team, uh, let's keep. Uh, I want to continue to address that uh, Patrick Mahomes situation where he's on a team that's not in a major market. So uh, it it just seems like we normally see these big type of contracts coming out of places like Los Angeles or New York or the the places that have had long-term success, huge fan bases, and uh, bigger arenas, and they can afford these types of contracts. So... How is the NFL able to pull that, or specifically, how is Kansas City able to pull that off and put invest so much in just that one guy? You know, I think there's a lot of, of reasons, you know, labor negotiation-wise that go back decades. The NFL, and obviously I'm going to sell the NFL here because I'm an NFL employee and I, and, I, and I love the league and I always have and I always will, has really done a lot since its inception to take care of its small markets. It cares that, you know, people in Kansas City, it matters to us that people in Kansas City not only can watch football and be a part of the NFL and the national conversation, but that they can keep draft, keep and retain, you know, superstar talent like 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 Patrick Mahomes. Um, so we've 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 always uh, you know structured our labor structure so that teams can make competitive offers to 
two superstar players. So, you know, for example, in the NFL, there there isn't a percentage cap on what a team can offer can offer a Patrick Mahomes, right? We have a minimum salary and we have a cap, meaning that you have to have 52 men on your roster and they all have to be paid a certain amount of money, but there's not there's no dictate on what percentage of the cap those guys can make. So, so the Hunt family that own the Chiefs, for example, they can go to Pat Mahomes and say, look, you mean so much to us that we're willing to pay you $41 million for the next 10 years to be a part of our franchise. And Pat Mahomes can say, that's incredible. Thank you. I appreciate that. I'm, I want to be a part of this. You look at the NBA, for example, and, and the Utah Jazz. I'm a huge Utah Jazz fan. But when Gordon Hayward was up for, for, for when he was a free agent, the Jazz, well, they could offer him what's called the, you know, the max contract. It was only like $25 million more than what, he could, than what other teams could have offered him. And, and when you factor that in with you know, he, him moving to Boston, being a part of a bigger market, making money off of personal endorsements, that's not a leg up. In fact, sometimes it's a step down and he, you can, he can lose money staying in a small market. So I think that, that a lot of it has to do with the NFL's you know, past and future commitment to ensuring that people in small markets can enjoy football and, and have you know, top-level talent on their teams and ensure parity throughout the league. Uh, we got more to discuss. Ethan Dursteller is with us. He's with the NFL. He's in their government affairs and public policy. Um, man, we covered a lot of stuff already, but more to, to get into. And we'd love to hear if you've got maybe a question about the NFL and how it works and, and uh, coordinates with Washington. Uh, feel free to text in 435-339-0321. Did I get, get it right this up. time? You got it. I got it right. 435-339-0321. I just loved how you looked at me to make sure it was right, though. (laughs) I had to make sure. Uh, Coming up here on the Full Court Press. Northern Utah and Southern Idaho's home for sports. It's the Full Court Press on Sports Talk Radio, 106.9 FM, 1390 AM. The Fan. Eric France and Ajay Salveson, special guest Ethan Dursteller with us as well. He's with the NFL. Just a, if you missed it, big news today. The Ivy League did come out and made it official. Um, the, uh, they're different presidents. They've, they're calling a phased-in approach to intercollegiate athletics, and which means there will not be any competition in the fall. Uh, they will resume or reevaluate starting January one whether or not they play. And uh, there's growing speculation that other conferences may delay the start of college football. Uh, there's mostly, at least what they've been saying publicly, is that they're going to wait until late July to really decide, which would give them a short window if they actually do move forward to actually roll things out. Puts a lot of people in a strange position. But uh, there's a... There's a real likelihood that there could be a delay to college football and that there might be other leagues, other conferences that decide, you know what, we're, we're going to hold off and we'll plan to do something in the spring. Yeah, Ethan Dursteller here joins us, uh, who works with the NFL. Uh, love to get your guys' opinions on this. The Ivy League is full of smart kids. Like, I mean, they pay hundreds and thousands of dollars to go to school for a semester there. Is so- that smart, though? so if that's a great point actually if if they say you know what we can see something ahead of time don't we look at it and say hey we should probably be following their footsteps like if i mean it's not like we're following some schmoes joe school out there this is the ivy league and and they don't think it's even safe to be playing football out there 
as a P5 commissioner, you got to be somewhat paying attention to it, even though they say they aren't. I, I think that it, it creates significant waves. Uh, and I think, as I said earlier, I think for any of them, it, it provides some cover that they could say, look, these are the quote-unquote really smart people. This is what they've decided. It's already going to affect them. Um, maybe we should take a really strong look at this and maybe we should follow suit. But I think that the the impact of football to everything else that goes on in an Ivy League school with their athletics is really minimal compared to the impact of college football compared to a normal G5 or even point. a Power no, 5. That's a great point. Athletics I, department. I mean, if you look, what was the last time an Ivy League school won the national championship? It was like probably 1940s, right? So, I mean, they're not hurting. They don't need football to make money. They've got billionaires that are, that are padding their endowment every year. So, so well, yeah, it probably does give, you know, a lot of the P5 commissioners an excuse an excuse if they don't want to play football. I, I, I'd be more concerned about, you know, school presidents and athletic directors who are looking at their, their athletic department budget and their school budget and saying, how are we going to fund this year? You know, football itself, the biggest fall sport, makes a lot of people a lot of money especially, you know, in the SEC, the Big Ten, and, and, and not only for football, but, but for academics and for a variety of other things. So so while the, I, I, think, I think it's easy for the Ivy League to make that decision because they don't need football, but for, but for, for, for uh, you know, a state school in the South that, 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 that relies on football, like I said, not just to fund their athletic department, but to, to be able to, to provide classes for their students, you know, I think it's going to be a much harder decision. Well, speaking of funding, Eric, Stanford decides to cut, what, 11 sports today? Well, this, this, is, this actually kind of blows my mind, to be honest. I mean, football has not yet been affected. Basketball has not yet been affected. I mean, they were able to go through their whole season and even part of their conference tournament in the Pac-12 for Stanford. But this is an anticipation of further financial problems. So Stanford today announcing they're going to discontinue 11 varsity programs. Now, they'll get a chance to finish out this year because there's already student-athletes in the program. They'll get to finish out the 2020-2021 season. But they're going to cut men's and women's fencing, field hockey, lightweight rowing, men's rowing. Okay, so some of these are like, really? That's a That's a sport? Uh, but it requires scholarships and financial aid and all that. Uh, co-ed and women's sailing, squash, synchronized swimming, men's volleyball, and wrestling. I know they've had a pretty good men's volleyball program in the past. But well, I what, think, sorry, go ahead. Uh, just one last thing is that besides just the well, really, this affects over two hundred student athletes and about twenty-two coaches and staff. Hmm. It just poof. And be gone. You guys ever heard of that cup that goes to the best athletic department in in sports every year? Can't remember what it's called. Oh, Some, something yeah. cup. BYU's always in second. Yeah, second place. Okay, yeah. You know who's Sounds always familiar, yeah. Stanford. So I mean, this is a big deal because Stanford has been respected for a long time as as the best athletic, one of the best athletic departments in the country. That's so the true. fact that they're cutting eleven sports, you know, well, they're sports that you and I don't watch. Uh, you know, it's a, it says a lot about, you know, maybe they're refocusing their resources and refocusing on the future. Yeah, Stanford does support uh, more athletic programs than most schools do. But, um, but yeah, still, 11. That's, 11 a, that's a hefty a lot, number. That's a hefty yeah. number. A hefty number. So if college football gets delayed or doesn't even happen in the fall, how would that potentially affect the NFL? Let's say if – let's be optimists that it – it happens to some degree in the next 
academic calendar year. But maybe it's not in the fall as traditionally, but maybe it gets shifted to the spring. How does that potentially affect the NFL? A couple of things. First, first I'll mention you know, what I think will be the biggest ramification for the NCAA and, and that it will play into how this affects the NFL is, is that if they play their season in February, they kick off in late February, early March. You know, Trevor Lawrence, uh, you know, last year's Jordan Love, these top players, they're not going to play. They, they, they have millions of dollars riding on the line. They don't want to get hurt before the dra- NFL draft, which is in April. And it's always been in April and it will be in April. So I think the first thing is is that you know talent scouts won't have the opportunity to scout these these top level ta- this this top level talent as much as they have in the past, which will probably lead to some bad picks. <laughs> you know that there's been a lot of first round busts in the last in the last in the last couple of years. I, I if there's not a college football season, I think you can see that you you can you can count on the number going up, and there will be a lot of mad fans. Um, but I think long term. It affects. It, it could affect the NFL's ratings in that the the quality of the product may not be as good. You know, if there's a if there was a great player this sophomore in his sophomore year, say he played his 2019 season as a sophomore, and there's no college football or, or college football is delayed, or for some reason he decides not to play in 2020 and 2021, then a team could take a flyer on him. Say the Broncos pick him in the first round, and he could be a totally different guy, and that could happen throughout the entire draft, all six rounds. And that could have ramifications long term, and that the NFL product just isn't as good because the talent that's coming in isn't as refined and wasn't as well scouted. I mean, you think if you look at the NFL ratings in 2015, 2016, 2017, when they went down, a lot of people say, you know, oh, it was because, you know, the, the anthem protests or a variety of other things. And that all played into it. But I think the biggest thing is, is the football just wasn't as good. You know, there's a lot of 17 15 games, a lot of 21. Three nine to six boring games that nobody really enjoys watching. You know, thankfully we've been able to flip that table, flip that in the last couple of years, and games have gotten more exciting. The talent level's gone up. We have some really exciting young talents, and the ratings have shot back up. But I think long the long term ramifications of no no college football season could could really affect the talent level in the NFL. With the so the NFL wouldn't budge their draft though. They wouldn't say you know let's let's step back and give these kids a chance to be able to play and 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 then play in the Reese's Senior Bowl and all that. They would stay still in April. You know. I, I, I can't comment on that. I, 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 I have no idea. I think it would be tough because I don't think, and, and again, you know, there's people in that, that make these decisions. But, you know, the NFL, our season starts in September, and mm-hmm. we're not going to want to bounce our You know, the Super Bowl's in February. And if you draft a kid in April, even with those four months before the season kicks off, it's tough to get him acclimated to, to NFL football, especially with the rules we have now, you know, where you can only have a certain number of practices a week, a certain number of pat- padded practices a week. He can only spend X amount of time with the coaches before the preseason. Um, you know, it's it's tough to get those guys adapted, and it's tough to get them on the team, and it's tough to field them and, and, and get them acclimated to, to professional football. So, well, you know, the, the NFL has always been flexible and willing to 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 to, to change to create a better product. I, I think that that'd just be hard with the timeline we're trying to go. That makes against. sense. Yeah. With it, we talked about this the other day, AJ and I did that. You look at uh, Major League Baseball; and they have a significant system to develop talent. I think it's maybe overdone, <laughs> but it's a single A, double A, triple A, even have rookie ball. I mean, it's the layers to get to Major League Baseball are pretty thick. Uh, even the NBA has a developmental league. The NFL doesn't have that. It's college football. College football develops a talent for the NFL. They don't need anything else. They haven't, at least in the past. Um, would this be with this kind of a 
an interruption to the status quo and how things have been going, would this be something that maybe the NFL takes a look at? And if so, I mean, how would you even create something like that? You know, like I said, you know, the NFL has always been committed to to innovating and creating new products and new in order to make you know the the sport as enticing and as exciting as we possibly can for our fans. And if that meant you know creating some type of developmental league that will give players the opportunity to come and show out in front of scouts and 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 refine, if not just maintain their talents, I think that that's a really interesting you know thought at least, and I'm sure it's something that the league would would talk about it you know it, it, it's tough to say at this point because everything has changed so fast in the last you know couple months you know three months down the road stuff's changed so fastly in the in the last three months three months down the road the coronavirus could be gone we have no idea right everything's changed so quickly so you know it's tough to say you know yeah a year and a half down the road we'll consider making a developmental league i think that like i said the league's always been committed to to, to innovating and, and doing what's best for for its fans and players and i'm sure that we'll continue to do that so you're in the NFL office, and the Alliance for American Football gets going. I mean, it tried to get going, and ultimately <laughs> it, it failed. They had a lot of financial problems and paying people. Uh, and then the following year, the XFL gets going. And really, they kind of operated on the same similar timeline. They wanted to be in the offseason of the NFL to provide an opportunity for people who still wanted to watch football to see football, even though it was you know a little bit different in some aspects. What was the attitude in the among those in the NFL about those two leagues, and like not necessarily their success or failure, but just the idea of another league out there for people to play football? You know, we surprisingly, you know, when I tell a lot of people this, people are surprised, but we we were excited about it. We we want football to be top of mind for people all the time, twenty four seven, three hundred sixty five days a year, um, and you know it is for a lot of people, but you know. I think that the, the, the value that the XFL and, and the Alliance for American Football, AAF, is that what they were called? Right, yep. I think the value they brought is that they provided opportunities for players that we care about but were unable to carry on rosters or practice squads, you know, an opportunity to, to make a living for their families, refine their talents, and maybe have another chance to play football at the highest level. And so, you know, it, 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 it was great for us in that we were able to, you know, it provided an avenue for players, like I said, that who we care about and who our game has always relied on to have a second chance. And it also, you know, kept the public's mind on football, which is, which is great for us. The more football, the better. So, you know, while, while there was no financial relationship between the, the, our league, the NFL, and those two leagues, you know, we, we were excited that people were playing football and that football was at the top of mind for, for, for America. The league had to be thrilled about the NFL draft, just how it went. I mean, virtual, I thought they were they really raised the bar for where the other leagues need to step up to do a draft. I yeah, we were we were ecstatic about how it went. You know, I think going in, everybody at the league was a little bit wary of how a how a uh, a virtual draft was gonna go. I mean, it was at the beginning of the pandemic, so you know, everybody was still trying to figure out what Zoom even was, much less how to work it. Um you know, and leading up to that, you know, there'd been a lot of news stories about how Zoom had been hacked and how it was easily accessible. And we, so, you know, we were worried that the Russians were going to hack the draft and, you know, a variety of different things. But, uh, yeah, we were ecstatic about how it went. We thought that it provided, you know, fans a really exciting opportunity to see into the lives of these players. You know, I, I think you know, I think for us and as a society, a lot of times the, the, the mistakes that we make is that we look at these players just as, as dudes with helmets on that just run and hit each other. We don't see... You know that they're they're people, and that you know they have families that they're taking care of, and, and I think that this provided a great opportunity for fans and for the public at large to 
you know, see a Jordan Love sitting there with his mom and tell his story, that his heartbreaking story about his dad, and and, and to see him sitting there with his mom and his family, and that in that moment that changes his life. Um, and, and you know, to see so many of those players have that opportunity, I think it was really special, and it was a fun opportunity to be a part of. I know we got to go to break here in just a minute, but really on the fan perspective, uh, Baltimore announced that they will not have any more than fourteen thousand fans in the stadium. How weird is it going to be? to see an empty Baltimore Ravens stadium or an empty Seahawks stadium? And how does the league try to, I mean, how do you try to handle that with no fans in a stadium for an NFL football game? It's going to be different. It's going to be so different, you know. And, and you know, I've been to the Baltimore Ravens Stadium, M and T Bank Stadium, quite a few times, and it's a special place, and it's never not full. So I think it'll be weird for the players that have been there to, you know, have it be a little bit more quiet. It'll be weird for the fans watching on TV. But you know, we're committed to, you know, keeping people safe, keeping the public safe, while also you know making the TV product as exciting for, as possible for the people that can't come. So I think you know it's still you know there's still going to be opportunity to watch football. Unfortunately, you know it's sounding like for a lot of teams it may not be you know in their stadium. But we're going to do everything we can to make that product as fun as possible on, on TV. Awesome. All right, more to get to with uh, Ethan Dursteller. He is with the Government Affairs and Public Policy Office with the NFL. Really interesting stuff. I mean, things about the yeah, NFL that awesome. I would never really think to connect. Yeah, never. So this is really cool. You, you got some more time you can hang out with us still for a little bit? Of course. I'm hey, loving we it. do need to really get to a huge, huge announcement in the NFL today. Huge. Huge announcement. Yeah, it's big news. Okay, well, that's the tease, I guess. Oh, it's huge. Keep people through the break. Coming up. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Stay tuned for Ajay's huge announcement coming up next on the Full Court Press. (laughs) The Full Court Press. Connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, and online at 1069thefan.com. Eric Franson, Ajay Salveson, conversation with Ethan Dursteller with the Government Affairs and Public Policy Division of the NFL. And a local kid from Cass Valley, by the way, went to Skyview High School and is now doing great things, like which is just awesome. I, I, I think that's really, really cool what you're doing, Ethan. I, I, I hope you know that. That's awesome. I appreciate that. And I appreciate you bringing up Skyview. You know, they won the state championship last year. It was a big deal. I was watching it at work at the NFL. Hey, what do you win think of that? Uh, what do you think of that Mason Fultz of kid? Athletic is all get out. Great kid. You know, I, I wish he was playing football. I really do. <laughs> uh, but, um, you know, we all make mistakes, and, and uh, <laughs> I wish him the best playing basketball at the U. Uh, Eric, we got huge news in the NFL. Well, yeah, what 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 is it? Cam Newton has officially signed with the New England Patriots. Okay, you don't care, <laughs> but you should. Sorry, where's where's my cricket music? You should care. <laughs> Everybody should care. It is a big deal because that somebody finally him picked him up into the best team in the AFC East. I would hate to be Josh Allen right now. You were the best quarterback in the AFC East for Until what two Cam, weeks? Yeah, yeah, two weeks. <laughs> Here's the thing. Hey, let me ask you something, you both of you. And and this is why I don't think Patrick Mahomes is going to make it 10 years. Mobile quarterbacks don't last in the NFL. In fact, their lifespan almost is is as equal to, or if not less, than a running back. Cam Newton's dealt with injuries. Michael Vick Man, ended what up having serious injuries. Michael Vick could have easily signed a contract like this. Yeah, but he, but he never won a Super Bowl when he, he was in his He wouldn't prime. have lasted, though. No. Quarterbacks who like to run around... 
like chickens with their head cut off, never last in the NFL. Ethan, I think I think two things to respond to your question, uh, to to your comment. Um, first thing, it's a different league. You know, there's different rules than, than when my, you know, even in 2015, when 2011, when Cam came into the league, you know, linebackers could still take quarterbacks head off, heads off when they were running. Right? Can't yeah. do that anymore. Second thing. Well, you know, expanding on my first point, I think the league has evolved to a point where, you know, the college game is feeding up to the pro level at such a rapid pace that these that these mobile quarterbacks are, are more and more successful. 20 years ago, you know, there was no mobile quarterback outside of Michael Vick that anybody would have drafted, much less believed in or, or given a big contract to. So I think the league has changed a lot. Um, second point is that is that going forward, I, I, I think that, you know, well, these ten-year contracts. Honestly, the back half of these big contracts are—they mean nothing. You know, Patrick Mahomes in five years is going to renegotiate his contract. If he's healthy, he's going to negotiate five years for probably more money. And if not, he's going to take the—they're going to—you know—they renegotiate. He'll make less money. So I think that you know you'll see more and more mobile quarterbacks getting these getting these big deals, and, and, and we'll see if they last. Um, you know, like I said, it's a different league. It'll be fun to see if these mobile quarterbacks can stay healthy for longer, and I think they'll be able to. I think that Patrick Mahomes is, like I said, at the top of the hour, a great deal. Is the league catered, though, to quarterbacks? Is the league too soft? I feel like the NBA is now too soft. Is the league too soft? Now that you can't, are they making it too easy you for quarterbacks? Yeah, yeah, to score because we need the at points the, at, at the maybe the disadvantage of many other players on the field. Look, I played defensive end at Skyview and and a big defense guy, and and so my my opinion is going to be very biased and say, yeah, of course, you know, there's nothing quite like taking a quarterback's head off. I, I think it's you know it's a special part of the game. It's always been a special part of football, but you know, I also think you need to look at the long term health of the game and realize that. You know, there, there's a lot of, you know, concerns about, you know, player health and safety and, and, and ensuring that our players are protected and taken care of, not just while they're playing, but, you know, in the long end of the future as well. And so, you know, you got to protect those guys and, and take care of them in, in order to ensure that the not just the NFL, but the football's around for, for years and years to come. I think, you know, as, you know, 10, even when I was growing up, you know, it was we were encouraged to take people's heads off to tackle the quarterback. If you had a, you know, if you, if you, if you if you got a little rattled, you know, come out, go right back into the game. You know, society's evolved to the point now that, you know, we care more, you know, if you, if you get your bell rung, come out of the game, sit out, get a concussion test. You know, I think, you know, maybe, I don't want to say society's gotten softer, but we've become much more aware of these, you know, issues, health and safety, you know, concerns. And I think it's a good thing. I think it's good that, you know, we're taking care of the players and, and while, you know, the, defensive end you know growing up in the early 2000s watching the the Baltimore Ravens side of me wants to say yeah we're doing too much to protect quarterbacks you know the the realistic long-term view of the of the league is that we need to protect our players we need to protect football and we need to ensure that, it, that it's safe going forward uh actually that segues perfectly into something that I wanted to get to um NFLPA president JC Treader has made some comments not really uh, I don't know I guess he's he's a little bit at odds with the NFL about the restart, or you know, the NFL recently announced that they're only going to do do pre two preseason games and then get right into the uh, the regular season. I guess he's just voicing his concern that there's not enough time for guys to ramp up properly, and that they're going to have to ramp up a little too fast. Sure. And so, uh, here's uh, we'll play the, uh, a comment he made about the really a, a concern or a fear about guys getting hurt as they try to get themselves game ready. Coming out of the lockout, we saw huge spikes in injuries. When guys came back and went right back into football activity, uh, coming off of a long layoff, and, and I would argue that we are in a worse spot physically than we were out of the lockout because, though in both situations team facilities were shut down, 
this year, private gyms were also shut down for a period of time. So guys weren't able to train like they were even in that year that we saw the injury spikes. So I, I'm not going to ask you to weigh you know, the merits of what he's had to say there. It's not your position, but just from an NFL uh, official, you know, being a part of those discussions, what's that been like trying to figure out this, how to figure out how to move forward and get things going again after guys have had this layoff and have not been able to get into gyms and just the whole idea of a restart admits to everything that's still going on and the cases are still high. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to comment super extensively on on, on that, particularly just because it's an ongoing labor negotiation. But, you know, I will say that the NFL has always been committed to protecting the players' health and safety. To, and that that's our number one, you know, priority bar. That, that's it, period, full stop. We care about our players. We care about their health and safety. Um, I, I think like every other industry in the United States and in the world right now, people are trying to figure out how to come out of this pandemic or, or how to re- live you know, with the pandemic and make things work. Um, and so you know, we're working closely with the PA, I know, on, on ensuring that, that our players are taken care of. We're working with them to, 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 to find the most efficient way to come out of this you know, tough time to create a system that protects players, uh, you know, provides a product to fan, allow, allows us to, to continue to, to be America's most popular sport, sports league. And I, I think that, though, you know, that while there will be some misunderstandings and, mis- and some miscommunications along the way, that you know, we'll get to the point where the players feel safe coming back and, and the NFL is confident in its ability to put a good product on the field going forward. What's the best thing about working with the NFL? Give me the best and worst thing. Uh, you know, the best and the worst thing are tied together in that everybody knows your employer, right? And so, uh, you know, <laughs> I know where this is going. it's really fun when, you know, you know, for, I'm a football guy at, at, at my core. Well, I know, well, I know a lot about the issues that the issue, the societal issues and the pol- political issues that surround the NFL at my core. I'm a football guy. I love the game. The game's given me so much. And, and you know, I, I, I think it's, it's, it's the most beautiful, most important thing it's it's so tacky and it sounds dumb to talk about a game this way but it's so important to me so i love talking about football with anybody that wants to talk football and this you know job gives me the opportunity working for the nfl gives me the opportunity to talk to anyone about football whenever i want it's great people come up to me unsolicited and say hey what do you think about tom brady going to you know going to the bucks what do you think about gronk joining him at the bucks and it's so fun to talk about that um in the same vein though you know everybody I think feels like it's their civic duty sometimes to tell me what they feel about, you know, the league's stance on certain societal issues. And, and well, you know, I, I love listening to people. I, I just don't really care about like Johnny's thoughts on, you know, certain, certain issues. Yeah. And I mean, yeah, yeah, well, it's totally valid that he has those and he's more than welcome to express those to me. It's not really fun, particularly to hear about those nor is it fun to people hear people bash on your employer. Um, so, you know, the, the, the that that you know, just having people know about what you do, be passionate about it, uh, and, and be able to talk about it is both the pro and the best part of my job and the worst part of my job. Hmm. The uh, opportunities, I'm sure, to meet certain people have been pretty significant. Uh, who are some of the maybe notable names that people might recognize? People you've been able to work with and come in contact with. Uh, well, I watched a magic show with uh, with Roger Goodell this Christmas. <laughs> a magic uh, show. Yeah, we were we were at the the company Christmas party, and I was. Uh, uh, so the first time I met the commissioner was was two years ago, uh, actually at the Christmas party as well. And and uh, I'd been with the league for only about a month and a half at the time, so I was still getting up to date on the issues that we were working on in the Washington D.C. office. And I met him, and 
he asked me, you know, what, oh, what are you working on? And, and I thought, oh, this is the commissioner. He doesn't actually care what I'm working on. So I gave him some bogus answer, and he came back right at me. He was like, well, what about this, 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 and this? And I was just like, uh, I have no idea. I'm so sorry. But uh, so, I, you know, I made a bad first impression. But, you know, coming back the next Christmas, uh, I was determined to, you know, kind of kind of improve my image with the commissioner. So we, uh, you know, we're wa- he, he, was, he was watching Magic Show. I was talking to him. And, uh, it was, you know, it was funny. We were standing there watching, again, random that we were watching a Magic Show at the company Christmas party. Um, and, and it, you know, talking, things are going well. And he pulls out his phone, and I see the caller ID, and it's Robert Kraft. And he's like, I got to take this. And he left. <laughs> uh, so, you know, I'm not, you know, not, not more important than Robert Kraft. But it was, uh, it was you know, he, the commissioner's always been great to work for and, and to associate with. You know, he... He's a, he's a, I enjoy, you know, working under him and having him at the head of, of football, you know, other, you know, there's lots of cool players. Jerry Rice, uh, is, is, is a phenomenal guy. We, he, he came to one of our, 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 uh, you know, NFL parties with members of Congress and, and, you know, obviously lots of members come because they grew up watching Jerry Rice play for the oh, 49ers. Sure. Right. And everybody wants to meet him and everybody wants to shake his hand. And he's so good in the public eye. I mean, I'm sure you guys grew up watching him and just know, you know, Jerry Rice was known not just for how well he played football, but also just how charismatic he is and how how much fun he is to be around. So it was fun. You know, we were standing there, he's shaking all these members of Congress's hand. And uh, he turns to me and he's like, you got to get these people away from me, man. I I can't talk to these people anymore. (laughs) They're also snake-based. I was like, okay, Jerry, we'll we'll see what we can do. So, you know, kind of, you know. Pushed everybody away, got him out of the hall, got it, took care of him, and he was able to go back and finish his his his, his appearance. But he, you know, it's fun to interact with people and get funny story, you know, experience, you know, things with them, and and see you re- you realize they're just people like us. You know, we deify them, and Jerry Rice to some people is is their hero, uh, and and he is you know very admirable and a great guy. But at the end of the day, he's just like us, and it's it's fun to get to know them on that level. Well, Ethan, it's been a it's been a joy. I mean, this has been so much fun. Having we're doing you this again. Yes, we got to have you back. If you're still in the valley, we got to have you back. No, I'd love to come back on. I love it. Thanks for having me on. All right, we'll hold you to it. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in. If you've missed it, you want to listen to it again, go to our website 1069thefan.com. Have a great night, everybody. I'm Dan Patrick, and this is Above the Noise. Early July is usually the one time of the year that the NFL is totally quiet. Players get in the last period of rest until their lives become football 24-7. But this has been an unprecedented offseason. A lot of guys have been sitting around for months, which means a lot of rest. Also could create a health risk on top of coronavirus fears. Usually we see a number of soft tissue injuries early in training camp. There could even be more than usual this year. People refer to the NFL as a war of attrition. Injuries change the season dramatically. 2020 could be marked by both traditional injuries and players testing positive for the coronavirus. Teams will talk about depth, but it's a challenge to find quality players. Just look at all the borderline backup quarterbacks we normally see by week 16. Hopefully players will really focus on health and safety during this break because everyone in the NFL is going to be tested physically and mentally in the coming weeks. I'm Dan Patrick, and this is Above the Noise.